I'm Pastor Gerald Rico, and this message is a part of our online ministry here at River of Life in Menominee, Wisconsin. To find out more about us, please visit our website, riveroflife.co. Again, that is riveroflife.co. But for now, prepare your heart and enjoy this message. Well, I am excited to be up here this morning. Uh, I cannot even begin to contain how excited I am. If you have been following along with us for the last few weeks, uh, you'll realize that I have not been in the pulpit for the last four weeks and that was intentional. Uh, before I get too much farther in that, I want to say a special th- thank you to Mark and Mark uh, for stepping in and preaching. Uh, if your name is Mark, there's a chance you might end up preaching here at some point. I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. We had two different Marks filling in, and they both did a great job. But I was doing that on purpose because I wanted to take some time and get ready for the fall. Because I believe our best season is ahead of us that we're going to see some amazing things as we continue to trust God. And so I'm excited to be bringing God's word to you today. But because I've been out of the pulpit for the last four weeks, I'm feeling a little rusty, feeling like I might need your help. So are you guys ready to help me preach this morning or at least give me a little more confidence? Okay, there's a few people smiling. Okay, yeah, all right, awesome, great. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to do some word association uh, as we get ready to talk about our message this morning. And so I'm going to say a word, and I want you to, to yell back out the first word that comes to your mind. All right, so I'm going to say a word, and I want you to tell me the first word that comes to your mind when I say it. You guys ready? You guys look like a smart group, but I think we're going to get this. All right, my first word this morning, peanut butter. Jelly. Jelly. Oh, wow, that was almost exclusive. I was hoping for anaphylactic shock. That, that's what I was hoping <laughs> for. Not that any of you would get it, but yeah, that's what I was hoping for. All right, all right, next word. You ready? Labor. I heard hard. I heard a lot of day. Um, labor pain, anybody? Okay. All right. Last word. Ready for this? Discipleship. Paul, Jesus. Awesome. Well, man, I'm impressed. Those are some good words. I like those words. Awesome. Well, here's the truth that I recognize. If you've grown up around the church, you probably have some preconceived ideas of what discipleship is. If you haven't grown up around the church, you probably have no idea what discipleship is. And what I'm afraid of is sometimes when we think about discipleship, it's very easy to put labels on it or to put parameters on it that the Bible does not. Like, Sometimes when we think about discipleship, we think about a class. Like you may have had a discipleship class that you had to take as a, become a member of a church. Or maybe when you think about discipleship, you think about Sunday school, which seems to have gone away to a large degree. But Sunday school was a great form of discipleship. But the problem with these definitions is it becomes very easy for us to make discipleship something that is just a thing you do at a certain port of the day. Like a, a certain, you, you take one class and you're done with discipleship or, or it's relegated to Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. That, that's all that discipleship is. But when we look at the Bible, we see that discipleship was supposed to be a little more deep than that. That there were supposed to be some nuances to discipleship that 
we never grow out of. That it doesn't matter how long you've been following Christ or how short the journey has been. We all need discipleship. We all need people who are pouring into our lives more than just a Sunday morning experience. That that we need people who are going to be sharpening us and that we have the opportunity to sharpen them. And so... Uh, the title for my message, in the next two weeks, we're going to look at discipleship. We're going to try to figure out, as we go into this next year, what would it take for us to be more intentional in our lives when it comes to discipleship? And so my message, I'm stealing the title from a book that I'm reading right now called The Great Omission. I mean, most of us are familiar with The Great Commission. But the truth is, in the Great Commission is this call towards discipleship. And yet, when I survey many churches, when I look at a lot of people who would call themselves Christ followers, the large swath of people who would admit, I'm not in any kind of a discipleship relationship, is too big. Too many Christians are omitting discipleship from their lives. And my challenge as we go into this next year, if we really want this to be the best year, we have to be about discipleship. By the end of my message, I hope that you recognize that discipleship is our call. That we are commissioned to go out and share this good news, but we're commissioned to do it in a way that involves us being deeply embedded in the lives of other people. And so... If you're ready for God's Word, I'd invite you to go ahead and stand. We're going to read the Great Commission, actually, as it's told to us from the Gospel of Matthew. And so I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start reading in verse 16, and we're going to go through verse 20. And so this is how it reads out of the New Living Translation. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me pray over our word. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your truth that is contained for us in the Bible. I thank you for these parting words that Jesus spoke over his disciples. And I pray that we would recognize that 2,000 years later, Jesus, you're still speaking these words over us. Help us to be the kind of Christ followers that take seriously the call to make disciples of all the nations. And as we do that, I believe you are going to do amazing things in our lives and through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. Amen. Well, before you see it, why don't you wave to a couple of people. Let them know how excited you are to be worshiping with them today. We are definitely excited that you are here. Well, as I mentioned, the passage I just read is called the Great Commission. And I want to take some time this morning and look at one thing that I see here that we are not commissioned to do, and three things that we are. So, The first thing that I want us to see is that we are not commissioned to convince the doubters. We are not commissioned to convince the doubters. Probably one of the most shocking verses in all of the Bible, to me at least, is Matthew 28.17. You may have missed it as I read it, but let let me reread Matthew 28, 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Let that sink in for a second. This is talking about a group of people who had been around Jesus, some of them For two or three years. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed he was the one who had come to rescue Israel. They heard him predict that he would be crucified. And then that he would rise again three days later. Then he was crucified. And he rose again three days later. And as the disciples went to meet him. Some of them saw him and worshipped him, but some of them still doubted. I think that's baffling to me. That after he rose from there, there were some of them that still weren't convinced. Now, we don't know if these were some of the 11 or some of the others that were with him. We, We don't know who they were talking about specifically. But we know at least the 11 got convinced quickly. But they weren't convinced by an argument. They were convinced by seeing God move and and seeing the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. They they didn't have to go, okay, well, here's where the Bible says about this. I mean, they just, they lived it out and people began to believe. It, It reminds me of a story that Jesus told before he was crucified. He talked about this time where he told this parable. It's, it's, a not, it's an untrue story. It's a fictional story that he tells about this rich man and a poor man named Lazarus, and they both die. And while the rich man dies and goes to hell, the poor man goes to heaven. And the rich man is in agony, and he sees this poor man, Lazarus, in heaven, and he says, God, Please send Lazarus back to go tell my family about this place so that they don't end up here. And basically, Abraham is talking back and forth with this man. He says, no, they have the scriptures. They have the word of God. They don't need someone to come back from the dead. He said, no, but if someone comes back from the dead, then they'll really know. But in Luke 16, 31, Abraham replies like this, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. 
So he's predicting this in advance. There will be some that wouldn't even be persuaded when he rose from the dead. And now, hear me on this. This doesn't mean we shouldn't study apologetics. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to learn about the truth and give a defense for the hope that is in us. But recognize, you can't win someone to the Lord through apologetics alone. If you can convince someone to believe in Jesus Christ because of a carefully articulated argument, then someone can convince them to unbelieve with another articulately conveyed argument. What we really need is the power of God working through His people. I mean, I hate to even bring up this name, but Ravi Zacharias is a great example of someone who was probably the most brilliant apologist of our times. Yet, his lifestyle, unfortunately, revealed he wasn't following Christ. So, he had great arguments, but he wasn't even living them himself. It's got to be more than an argument. It's got to be life change. It's got to be life change that invites discipleship. Life change that invites accountability. Life change that draws other people in and allows that change to make us more than who we are. That is what is going to convince people, not arguments, changed lives. So quickly, here are the three things I believe we are commissioned to do. First of all, I believe we are commissioned to serve, or sorry, to follow Christ in discipleship. We are commissioned to follow Christ in discipleship. In verse 19, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's interesting to me is so often when we look at this verse, we focus on the word go. As in, that's the imperative in the statement. But really, the imperative is make disciples. And there's a lot of churches and there's a lot of missions organizations that put this verse up on their wall as their commission to go out and to tell people. And we should go out and tell people. But we need to be going out and telling people and then making disciples. I think Jesus knew the going would happen. I, I, I think the going was a given. And why do I think that? Because these guys watched their teacher die and rise from the dead. They were going to go. I mean, to sit back and do anything else would be foolishness. They were going to go. But Jesus is saying, as you go, make disciples. He was, he was flipping the script for them. They had been discipled for three years under his teaching. Now they were to become the teachers and they were to go and teach the new disciples new things. So if you want to follow Jesus, you need to be someone who's going out and making disciples. That this is one of the ways we prove we're following him. That we are active in either being discipled ourselves or discipling others, preferably both. If you follow Christ, you will follow Him in discipleship. The other thing I see that we're commissioned to do is we are commissioned to serve others with discipleship. Now listen, I believe we should serve others in other ways too. 
Like, I think it's a good idea to feed some college students some pizza. Any college students want to say amen? (laughs) Okay, a few of you. All right, awesome. So I think it is important that we serve our community by giving them free winter coats, especially people who can't afford it. But I believe we also serve each other with discipleship. That this is one of the things Jesus called us to do. In verse 20, he says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. Why was this so important? Why why was this so important that he wanted them to serve other people with discipleship? Because for three years, Jesus had been preaching an upside-down kingdom. He had been teaching things that were counter-cultural. We read passages from the Bible And because we have grown up in a Christian society, because we have been in large part indoctrinated into Christian belief and Christian theology, whether or not you've grown up in the church, our society has been radically affected by the words of Jesus. But when he first spoke them, they were revolutionary. And I believe they still are because I don't believe we're living them the way he intended us to. And so we need to be people who teach others to obey, that we serve people by teaching them what it means to obey these principles. Because if you start living this life, it's going to be countercultural. It's going to cause some friction. You're going, to, you're going to be the odd duck out from time to time. But that's one of the reasons why people will come to you and ask you for the hope that's in you, because they will see you living differently. And we won't live differently if we're not serving each other by helping each other learn how to obey all that Christ has commanded us to do, most importantly, through discipleship. Lastly, I do believe we are commissioned to reach the world through discipleship. That it's by discipling each other. It's by being committed to discipling new believers. And even as old believers being willing to be discipled ourselves. This is how we reach the world. We're not going to reach the world with a convincing argument. We're not going to reach the world by having a really good Facebook campaign. We're not going to reach the world just because we have the world's best worship team because half of them might get sick on a Sunday. (laughs) We're just not, it's just not going to happen. Even my amazing preaching We're not going to reach the world. But I think we will if we're committed to discipleship, if we're committed to being in each other's lives, helping each other grow, strengthening one another, teaching each other what it means to obey. That's how we're going to reach the world. That's what other people are going to look to. In, In verse 18, he says, go into all the world because... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus has already given us the authority to go and do this. That He has commissioned us to go to all the world. In verse 19, He says, Make disciples of all the nations. What that word nations actually doesn't mean like geographical nations like the United States or Spain, or although we believe in sending people all around the world. But the word there is actually 
ethnos or ethnic groups or people groups. He's saying, go preach the gospel to all people groups. And now, here's where I need to understand this. Some of you might be called to go and take this message to an ethnic group that's far from Menominee, that is distinct from our Christian worldview here in America. But until that time, all of us are called to reach the ethnic groups that are within our reach. It might be your own ethnic group that you are supposed to be reaching out to. That's why we believe in our church. We, we want to be a church that welcomes everyone. Because all people in this community need to hear. And we need to be making disciples of all of them. And then he leaves us with this amazing promise. Be sure of this. I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. He has promised to be with us as we go and we reach people for Christ. That's why we can do this. That's why I believe we can reach the world. That's why I believe as we proclaim that hope is here, that we will take hope and change the world. And now, you know, I mentioned that apologetics has a place that we we need to understand, but I believe that there is an apologetic out there, a defense for the faith that is so powerful, it will change people around you. Matter of fact, I I think James Emery White, uh, a pastor from North Carolina, he he expresses it a little bit better than I could, so I'm going to read his words. He says, But in truth, there is only one argument for the Christian faith, one apologetic that is unanswerable, meaning... There is no rebuttal. There is no way anyone can ever argue against it, which makes it the most powerful and forceful apologetic of all. Are you guys excited to hear what he says? Is this, I mean, wouldn't you want to have this tool in your belt to be able to say, I have an argument that you can't argue against? All right, I see a few people excited about this, so I'm going to move on. Here's the unanswerable apologetic. It's your story. No one can ever argue that what happened to you didn't happen to you. They can't say that your life wasn't changed. They will never be able to deny what Jesus means to you or has done for you or his reality for you. The one unanswerable apologetic is this. I am a life that has been changed by Jesus. I am a life that has been changed by Jesus. The two most powerful things we have in all the world is our story and the truth that Jesus said, I will be with you always. He hasn't sent us out to reach the world just with our own cleverness. He hasn't sent us out to change the world just because we we have some memory verses memorized. We're able to do this because we have a story and we have Jesus with us. In the book of Revelation, we're told that in the end, we will defeat Satan by the power of the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. If you want to defeat 
the power of the enemy in your world right now, go out and proclaim the name of Jesus and what he has done for you. The truth that he has birthed in your life. The way he has changed you. That you can point other people to the fact that I know it may be hard to believe. I know you might be a doubter. But this is what Jesus did for me. And this is how I'm getting through the coronavirus. This is how I'm getting through all of the chaos in the world. Because I have an anchor for my soul. And if you don't have that testimony, I would love by the end of the service for you to make that decision. I'll give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and, and to experience the love and the grace that He has to offer you. So, as we get ready for this next year, I, I want to—I actually want us to put some skin in the game. I want us to actually be committed to this. As I mentioned, this is the great omission. This is what I believe a lot of Christians are missing. But I think, as the church, we need to be more intentional about this. And so, we're going to be starting a program on Back to Church Sunday called Lifeguards. And I want to invite you to be a lifeguard. As a matter of fact, I want there to be only two types of people attending our church after September 19th. I want there to be people who are far from God, who are seeking Him, and I want there to be lifeguards. In other words, if you know Jesus, you need to be someone who's taking discipleship seriously, that you're using it to guard your life, you're using it to guard the lives of the people around you by being someone who's committed to the process of discipleship. Next week, I'm going to actually talk through some of the more practical elements of this and what it could look like for our community as we commit ourselves to being lifeguards. But let me quickly tell you the four pillars that we're trying to establish through this group. We, we believe that if, if you want to be a lifeguard, that you need to be someone committed to pour over Scriptures. That you're someone who doesn't just read a verse on your version app and then go away, but that you actually spend some time and, and you dive in and you allow God's Word to saturate your heart. That you pray for people who are far from God. That you take time and you let other people know. And, that, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why I had you guys fill these out. I want us to make a habit of praying for people who are far from God. That we would practice hospitality. That once a month you would invite someone into your home or maybe open your wallet and invite someone out to a meal if, if you're more comfortable with that. But you would do that once a month with someone from our church. You would do that once a month with someone who's not from our church. And then maybe you'd do it a third time with your choice. But then you would, you would be committed to that. And then finally, that you would pursue accountability. I, I had a good friend who would often say, he was a college pastor, and um, a lot of times college students would get out there and they would uh, get to campus and they would just go crazy because now they got freedom, right? There's no more accountability. Mom and dad are not over my shoulder anymore. Sorry, mom and dad, if you're in the room and, and you're releasing your kids. But, um, but, but he would always challenge these students. Maturity is not the lack of accountability. Maturity is when you begin to seek it for yourself. And so we want to be people 
who are mature in our faith because we're constantly seeking people who will keep us accountable to whether we're in the word, whether we're praying for people who are far from God, whether we're practicing hospitality. And so that's going to be kind of the tenets. And like I said, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But I want you to be praying about, is that me? Should I be a part of this? Should I be a part of helping people grow? And I hope you'll come back next week and the following week as we help people understand what this means. But more importantly than all of that, even if you're not going to be a lifeguard, even if you're never coming back to church, even if you've been checking out or you've been you know, looking at Facebook for the last few minutes, come back to me for one second. Because you need to get this. If you get nothing else, you need to understand discipleship is our call. Discipleship is our call. Whether you are a new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for 50 years, you are still called to be a part of the process of discipleship. And I pray that you would be someone who seeks that out. That you would be someone who would desire to be a part of that process either for yourself or for someone else. Again, hopefully both. But that you would allow discipleship to be something that isn't just something we talk about, isn't just a word that has weird connotations, but that we realize this apprentice style of discipleship, this giving our lives to other people so that they can grow in their faith is what our call is all about. So, as I promised, I want to take a moment and I I want to pray over this message. And and I want to give people who are far from God an opportunity. There there might be someone who's going to watch this message later, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the love of God. There might be some of you in this room that maybe you haven't been following Christ the way you know you should, and and you want to respond, and I want to give you that opportunity. And then I also want to pray for the rest of us that we would go out realizing we've been commissioned to go and make disciples. So let, let let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do. And we thank you that you are God who is faithful. That Jesus showed us the way we make you known is by being faithful to discipleship. Being faithful to raise up more people to follow you. To see the beauty of your upside-down kingdom. And that our lives would better reflect who you are because we willingly invite other people in. We willingly choose to pour our lives out for the sake of other people. God, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice, either in this room or or watching online, who they would recognize, I need Jesus. I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to them, that you would convince them of the truth of who you are, that you would draw them to you. And if that's you, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. You can use my words, you can use your own. You can say this out loud, you can say this in the quietness of your heart, but pray something like this. Pray, dear Jesus, I believe in you. 
I believe that you died. I believe that God rose you from the dead. And I believe you are calling me to yourself. I'm sorry for my old life, for my sins, for my mistakes. I'm turning away from that life because I want to follow you. Holy Spirit, fill me. Give me the strength I need to follow Jesus every day. God, I thank you for this new life. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, could you come talk with one of us afterwards? We would love to help you to understand what it means to follow Jesus. We want to make sure you get into a discipleship relationship. But for the rest of you, if you didn't make that commitment, if you're already following Jesus, please leave this place with an understanding that you have a call on your life to go and tell more people.